teachers don't choose to become teachers because of glory, a sizable paycheck, and the countless hours we spend planning, delivering, and assessing learning. We become teachers because we love working with and inspiring the next generation, and probably because we had one or a few exceptional teachers ourselves that instilled a love of lifelong learning. As we mentioned in our Parent University episode on technology, today's students have grown up in a time unlike any other. Today, we're going to shine the GLG light on Gen Z, those 11 to 26 year olds. And we're going to go straight to the source with a very special, confident, and impressive guest, my niece Taylor. Welcome back to the Grounded Learners Guild, the podcast that gets real about education, authentic leadership, and the transcendent power of being a part of a highly functioning team. Here are your hosts, La Capitana Casey Veach, team skeptic and idea slinger of spaghetti, Emily Coquelin, and me, clarifying the GLG butter, Jenny Labrie. You wake up late for school, man, you don't want to go. You ask your mom, please, but she still says no. You miss two classes and no homework, but your teacher preaches class like you're some kind of jerk. Even though these song lyrics sung by the Beastie Boys were from a song released in 1986, we're a little worried sometimes that the lyrics still might ring true for students today. Generations are always trying to figure out those younger than them. And cracking this code is imperative for today's teachers. Today's 11 to 26 year olds are part of the coined Generation Z. And it's easy to make assumptions about this group of young people when they are actually the most connected and socially conscious generation. We need to connect and actually talk with, not to these students. So tonight, we are welcoming our one and only guest for season three of GLG, a member of Generation Z. It's our intention with this episode to slow down our mind's tendencies to make these assumptions and generalize by grounding what we know about Gen Z in an authentic understanding, starting with a conversation with them, one member at a time. And this person is willing to give up her evening to talk to a bunch of millennial teachers. First, Taylor, thank you so much for taking some time out of your Saturday night to spend with us. Of course. Uh, three educators <laughs> in their almost 40s. Or 40s. Hey, 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 not yet, not yet. Really awesome. <laughs> So before we really dive into some of these questions that'll really help us decode Generation Z, tell us a little bit about you. Um, my name is Taylor. I'm 16 years old. I'm a sophomore in high school. Yeah, I'm a Gen Z student. Tell them what year you were born, Taylor. 2006. Doesn't that make you feel old? <laughs> yep. That's, that's when I got my first job. <laughs> <laughs> put things in contact that's awesome and before the show actually started we had a chance to connect a little bit more with taylor and taylor actually goes to my high school where i graduated from Mm -hmm. has some connections there with theater so i'm super super excited to hear your perspective taylor on some of these questions yeah thank you for having me 
All right. So kind of jumping in, Taylor, just wanted to talk a little bit about one of the ideas. We've been hearing recently some buzz about Gen Z, and there's just some things that keep coming out from other educators or even, you know, on social media and stuff that say that students today are obsessed with technology, that they're not very motivated, that they can be disrespectful. What would you say teachers have wrong about students in your generation? I think that, and this sucks to say because I know, like, I'm a part of this generation. I'm kind of, like, talking about myself a little bit. Obsessed with technology is accurate, although (laughs) I think that it's unfair to use it to be, like, all Gen Z sucks because of this. Mm -hmm. Like, literally every day, this is a quote I think I got from a comedian, we are choosing to view oblivion or, like, nothingness, like, every night before bed like you have everything in the palm of your hand or like whatever is going on right now so obsessed with technology yes but like i don't blame myself or any of my peers for that it's so hard to manage that and i think that it's like technology is very predatory it does take advantage of like students especially what else are you saying disrespectful i disagree completely i disagree i think that Some teachers don't like that students can talk, like speak for themselves. And like students now are able to say, I don't want that to happen. I'm not going to stand for that. I'm not going to let you take advantage of me. I'm not going to let you say these things to me or my classmates. Like that's new in classrooms. Like Mm -hmm. speaking Mm -hmm. like out about things, that's something that teenagers have only recently learned that they can do without like severe consequences. And I think that's an adjustment for both students and for teachers. And then motivation, I don't know if you mentioned motivation, but I wanna mention it. I think that students aren't motivated by the same things anymore. Like, Mm -hmm. is it just good grades? Because, you know, teachers will be like, you get good grades, you get into a good college, you get into a good job. But I personally, and I know my friends agree that like in the end goal for me is no longer getting a job and climbing that ladder and becoming a CEO and getting more money and getting more connections and and just earning, 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 earning for the rest of my life before I retire and die. Like that does not sound satisfying to me. That's not a life that I want to live. Like I'm motivated. <laughs> <laughs> I'm motivated by my own happiness and I'm not going to let school get in the way of that. Like I, everything will be fine. I know I'm going to get a job. I'm confident that I'm smart and that I'm capable and I don't need good grades and my teachers to tell me that I am. And Taylor, I love the part where you're talking about the advocacy piece. I would say now more than ever, we are seeing in our, especially our adolescent students that are coming from a new generation, they're advocating for not only themselves, but for others a lot more than any other generation before them has ever been. I actually, in the beginning of this year, had to report one of my teachers because he, I'm not going to give a ton of details because all things considered, I don't know the legalness of it all because it was like an official investigation, but I had to go and report my teacher because he was being incredibly disrespectful to all of the women in his classes Mm -hmm. and was like, being extremely disrespectful to both to us and also saying things about like his wife and his kids Mm -hmm. and i feel like i talked to my parents about it and stuff and everyone was just like so shocked that i could take like do that like it was for me like natural obviously if you're gonna 
call on students and ask like you know your place right like yeah i'm going to tell like that's a real quote from him so i'm not gonna stand for things that i don't think are right taylor you have given me goosebumps like just with (laughs) the way you are truly being a voice for your generation and the fact that (laughs) we are able to bring you into this conversation and it just is so affirming hearing the things that you're sharing it completely aligns with everything we've talked about on this podcast before that your generation is about advocacy and unless we can anchor what we're doing in schools to help you reach that personal excellence whatever the heck that looks like for you that's the goal of our educational system not just to bit out these systemic automatons that can fill in the roles of their parents after they retire and die and truly like the with the way the future is developing and how fast technology develops like I think you make a really good point Casey that you know we don't necessarily want you to even fill the shoes of your parents those shoes might not even be available or exist in five to ten years so I think you are really wise beyond your years Taylor to you know know that you're chasing happiness (laughs) not yeah, thank you. Not someone else's not, dream. Not to mention that, like, the climate of the world, I guess, not like physically, like the war, but like, yeah. there's a lot of crises going on. I'd yeah. even say like there's a lot of things going on. I think that is a really big like struggle as a student. I'm I have access to every news article in the world, and I know what's going on, and that sucks. That really mm-hmm. sucks. Yeah. I have no control. I'm 16. I can't even vote yet. Yeah. That actually segues really good into the next question. <laughs> We're going to our next question. Awesome. Casey, you're next. No, Jenny, I was the next. caboose. Yeah, you're, Jenny, next. you're next. You are. No, yeah, you are the, the caboose. caboose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for those of you that are listening, Taylor is my niece and she just totally called me out. Like, Aunt Jenny, get your act together. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. I am next. I am next. Okay. So the research is suggesting that your generation is more anxious. Do you agree with that? Where do you think that anxiety comes from if you do agree with it? If not, where are you at with this? Yes and no. I agree. I do think that my generation is really anxious. Like, I've seen it in every single classmate that I have. Like, I can't name a single... Well, I can name very few like select students who I've never actually seen be anxious about school or just about life. But I also think that like research about anxiety and diagnosing anxiety in teens has greatly improved. So I I can't say like, you know, it's very possible this has been a prevalent thing and we've only just recently started talking about it. Um, which is a good thing. Even if it was prevalent, we've finally kind of started addressing it. Like I said, the news and like the state of the world is a really big stressor for me like knowing that pollution and war and politics and all of these things are happening even and unfortunately that i even have to bring this up school shootings incredibly everywhere they're everywhere and it's really hard like walking into my school and i know i'm safe but also do i know that i'm safe kind of thing Mm -hmm. like that's so unfair I also think that school is a big reason why kids have anxiety. The expectation of students is ridiculous. I haven't missed a single day in my entire school year because I know that if I miss one day, like unless I absolutely need to, I will be behind. I could be behind for weeks 
trying to catch up because every day you're getting more work, you're getting more information, you're getting more assignments, you're getting more things, more units. Like there's this constant pump of classwork, classwork, classwork. And unless you are there every day, you can't keep up. I have classmates that have gone to mental hospitals and have come back and have literally missed so much work and they're walking into classes with binders full and expected to finish that it's an uh, it's a cycle it's it's really you leave because you're anxious you take a mental health day you come back and you're anxious because here i have missed nine ten periods of classwork like how do you make that up are there any other places where you're feeling that anxiety kind of come from or is school kind of the only place Hmm. or just like you said the state of the world i think that also from our peers and like social media is a big reason why i feel like it's really hard to feel happy about what's going on with you i think that we're just we're all so connected and we all know what's cool we have to if we don't post and we're not cool and we we don't all meet all of these social expectations now along with our school expectations that is a big deal bullying has definitely gone down a lot I know teachers will always mention cyberbullying. I don't think cyberbullying is very prevalent. It definitely happens. It's definitely very sad. But it's more so the internal, like, what if I'm not being viewed? What if I'm not being seen? What if I'm not being cool? What if I'm missing something? Like, if I'm missing out, like, that's hard. And it comes from being in school, being on social media, just being social in general. It's a big, like, three things, like, state of the world, the classroom expectations and then the social expectation big three stressors of my life i think with those last two one of the things that pops into my head is that question of me being enough you know like am i enough for school am i enough for my family am i doing enough and i think that's a lot of where maybe this anxiety comes from is this constant pursuit of having to be enough and as a formal people pleaser myself (laughs) but all of that I think is unfortunate that you all are feeling and we'd like to say it gets better, but even adults. Right. Yeah. I really do like that you brought up your generation's awareness and ability to define Mm -hmm. and be aware of anxiety. That's something that I'm I'm pretty proud of about our generation, the millennials, is I feel like we're we're the ones who started getting mental health care and normalizing that. And Gen Z has taken the ball and run with it in so many good ways. Like I, I think you make a really good point that it's not so that you're so much more anxious. It's that you're so much more willing to talk about it and be upfront about it and right. normalize it. Even though it's not a good thing to have those feelings, there's a little bit of comfort in knowing that other people are having those feelings For across sure. generations and just, you know, next to you in class any day could be going through the same thing. Right. So we've been talking a lot about some of the big stressors, right, in the school right. system. But I think we're going to pivot a little bit to talk about some celebrations and really celebrate learning, which I can already tell, Taylor, you're going to have some great (laughs) responses for us with this. (laughs) On this podcast before, we've talked about as educators, we want to create epic moments. Epic meaning an acronym for something that flips the script, something that provides insights to students, that gives them an opportunity to collaborate, something that gives students a sense of pride. Can you think of a time in your educational system journey 
where you felt like you really learned something, number one, and it fit one of those categories. Like, I really felt elevated. I felt a sense of pride, insight, or connection with my classmates or my teacher. I definitely have. And I mentioned this before we started recording, but I'm part of theater. I've been doing it since my freshman year. I've done four productions so far and I'm working on a fifth one right now. Um, And my first production, I'm not going to give the name just for safety Mm -hmm. because it's not a very well-known musical, but I remember the opening night was like everyone was really anxious. It's a tap show. So all of these dancers learned tap from scratch, like just seriously, like spent. I was there like till 9, 10 p.m. for almost two weeks straight. So it was a lot of work. Like I spent more time with these people than I did with my parents for a good month. We finally got to the opening night. Everyone's like in makeup and their costumes and preparing the set and painting and doing last minute touches. And we went through the whole show. There was, of course, bumps and blips and things like that. But at the end, we closed the the main curtain and everyone in our theater just screamed. And here I am. I'm a freshman. I've never I've never even experienced this before. And all of these dancers come running off the, the stage with their clickety tap heels and like everyone's hugging each other and congratulating each other and like that sense of community was something that I had never felt in my entire life I was shocked I was in awe at this moment like it's probably one of my fondest memories like going up to these kids who I've I've just recently met after being in a pandemic for you know what two years yeah alone And here I am finally, like, I've done something really big and really impressive and being able to celebrate with my classmates and my peers and all of these wonderful people. Like, I think that's that's an epic moment of my life. I really felt just I felt very strong and I felt like that teamwork and that connection was amazing. I'm not going to (laughs) cry. I just. I love the idea, and we've talked about it on this before, performance, right? Mm -hmm. Not just theater performance, but when a student is able to put all the pieces together to, like you said, do something that they haven't done before and share it with an authentic audience, like that's what it's all about. And our performing arts do that better than (laughs) every other content area. Right. Which yeah. we could take a page from that book as gen ed, as other content areas. But thank yeah. you so much for sharing that because yeah, that just course. reinforces what we've talked about on here before. Awesome. And Taylor, <laughs> were you graded on any of that? Is that how you got motivated to do any no. of that? No. Nope. Nope. Not at all. Yeah. Just a little snap back to our last episode yeah. that was on uh, assessment. Really, uh, we've talked a lot about yeah. how it's not just about the grade. It's about what you've yeah. learned and what you're I actually, I was actually told that I wasn't allowed to use the musical as an excuse for my grades, which kind of sucks. But, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, I was there until 9, 10 p.m. And I was not allowed to tell my teachers that 
I missed something or I didn't do something because of the musical. So I definitely didn't grade it, get graded on. If anything, I lost some grades. <laughs> <laughs> but you were doing things that actually right. mattered. That like actually the, demonstrated skill. The sacrifice <laughs> of my homework was nothing in the end. Like, yeah, it didn't yep. matter. Yeah, yeah, because that epic moment, that's what's going to stick with you. Right. <laughs> Not some random assignment. Wow. <laughs> All right. So Taylor, this is a little bit different of a question, another mini pivot, I guess. But we were just kind of thinking that like one of the things I was thinking about was how Gen Z covers a really wide range of ages, right? Like technically some of your younger teachers are in Gen Z, as are you. And I think a lot of people just be like, oh, Gen Z and just kind of like lump them all together mentally, like they're all the same. But what are some of the things that you think like teenage members of Gen Z, what makes you different from maybe some of the folks on the older end of Gen Z? I think the biggest difference, in my opinion, is the pandemic. Like, I think that's a really big difference between, like, people who have who are older in their 20s who have, you know, kind of established themselves in a job or in a house or they've started college or they're, like, kind of moving on their way. They've finally kind of developed and had this foundation kind of set out for them. For me, I was in middle school. It started in my seventh grade um, and it went all the way up until the beginning of ninth grade. And I mean, technically it hasn't even been called off yet, but things have gone kind of back to normal now. Back then I was still learning how to be a student, how to be a teenager, how to, you know, going through puberty and making friends and starting clubs. Like I didn't get to start theater in seventh grade, even though I planned to. I literally went to the meeting maybe two weeks before the pandemic ended up um, just shutting everything down. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that, and I see it in my classmates a lot, the pandemic really shifted the actions and the behavior of students. Um, Whereas I feel like in the older generations, you guys were a little more lucky. You didn't, you know, you weren't hating those markers I remember sitting in my dad's office doing work just alone. And I was the only student who asked questions. I was the only student who made comments. I was the only student in my entire class who participated. And every student was guaranteed a pass of middle school, 100%. Um, I ended up going back into into class for like the last six weeks of school. And I actually got a gift from one of my teachers who had me on a Zoom call, on a Zoom session, because she was like, you were the only student who cared about my class. And that sucks. Like, that is an experience that no 20-year-old is ever going to have. And I would even point out, Taylor, that in addition, everybody's story is unique. But for you as well, you're an only child. So you were so like, how how isolating that must have been for you to be home and learning on your own and exploring what your identity is in just such a vacuum, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you make a really good point that the pandemic really swiped some foundational moments and skills for yourself. And it sounds like to a larger degree, many of your classmates. And I think that all of us in in teaching and the kids themselves were working so hard to get those things back and get people back to where they were. But we're kind of all different, too. It may never be exactly the same. Right. 
Absolutely. So in thinking about, you had mentioned a little bit before, Taylor, something about a, something that you had to do to stand up and advocate for yourself and others in your classroom with a teacher. But let, we could even right. shift this into, it could be as deep as that or even just as silly or shallow as you want it to be for this next question. <laughs> but what's something a teacher or authority figure or adult or your parents, whatever it might be, what do they do that automatically alienates or turns off Gen Z? Oh, boy. I think. <laughs> Where do I begin? She's, you, you must keep it to three. <laughs> She's like ready to ready to roll out the Rolodex. Oh, uh, oh boy, yeah. Oh, um, God, Jenny, yeah what's a Rolodex? Yeah, Taylor, do you know what a Rolodex is? I was. No. <laughs> I was just gonna skip over that, man. My my buddies, no, no yeah, they're not. Work. They're gonna throw me under the bus. Oh. It was like this circular thing that had little note cards with people's like names and addresses and business cards in it. It's like but the oh pre-cell phone like way of knowing your contacts. I'm so oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> hey, her vocabulary well, is one word larger. Yep. Now you know what a Rolodex is now. for all the time you will Thank use you. It. <laughs> well, back on topic. Sorry. Um, <laughs> it's just okay. keeping us adults in line. I definitely I think that I mentioned like advocacy a lot and we kind of covered that I think that students with that um, I know myself I even talked about this with my parents like tonight at dinner I in my classmates demand respect like respect to me respect to my peers respect to even our elders and people who may be above or below us on like the uh, hierarchy of life if a teacher or a student or any any authority figure, anybody tries to disrespect my friends and my family, that is automatically something that is a huge, not just a red flag, but also just, yeah, a turnoff. That is so normalized. I feel like being able to, as an authority figure, undermine you know, people who are below you, people who have to answer to you without any consequence. And Mm -hmm. you see it, you can see it in the workplace. I've heard stories. I see it in the classroom. I've had teachers. I I mentioned this. I have a teacher who was incredibly misogynistic and disrespectful to the women and girls that were in my class. He told girls that they knew their place and He's talking about how his wife belonged in the kitchen. And that's crazy. That is not okay. That is no longer something that we're ever going to accept. That's something that we haven't accepted for a long time. But Mm -hmm. there are other things that are still accepted. Like racism is still happening in classrooms. And and that, that is not okay anymore. There is no way. And it enables other students to act the same. Like boys mm-hmm. in my class, there was a boy who in my class, I walked in and I was wearing all black that day, God forbid. And I walked in and I sat down and a, and a boy kind of turned around and then he turned back to his friends and he, he said, and I, I kid you not, he said, here comes the school shooter. That, <gasps> yes, real, that is a, a real thing that was said about me. And it was all because of this teacher who allowed his students to look down on other kids without consequence, mm-hmm. without anything at all. There's no longer can there be that imbalance. 
that's not mm-hmm. I'm still a person I still have a voice I still have feelings just because you right. are my educator you are my authority figure does not mean that you have the right to do whatever you want mm-hmm. but also in teacher's defense that doesn't happen very often right that's not common it's just an extreme example of mm-hmm. how authority can be used against students As you're describing this, Taylor, one of the things I've heard when I visited classrooms Mm -hmm. is, you know, for some of those comments that you describe, sometimes someone would say in defense, oh, I'm just being sarcastic or I'm just exaggerating or try to downplay the statement. And I think this is why we learn in teacher prep programs that sarcasm has no place in a classroom. Because if you're sarcastic with your students, as a sign of mutual respect and shared community, you will need to be and are saying it's okay for others to be sarcastic right. with you. That's that sign of disrespect I think that you're talking about is, right. is if we make sarcasm safe, it is a stepping stones to some of those bigger comments. Yes. And, um, and maybe digging one little little thing deeper in that because again, I do think that sarcasm is, is something that we have to handle with extreme care, like you're saying. Mm-hmm. I think if you're sarcastic about like, the bell schedule or like something really general you cannot be sarcastic about people yeah you cannot right. be sarcastic about people and their identities you can't be sarcastic about your students and who they are and how they work you can't be sarcastic about your colleagues and who they are and how they work right if you want to mm-hmm. be sarcastic about something that's unrelated to any of that about the schedule about something that happened outside but like it can't be about actual people and their identities and Mm -hmm. who they are otherwise it's like you said taylor really an abuse of power something we shouldn't and hope not to see much of at all and you heard it here folks a way to automatically lose the respect of your students right yeah for sure all right so taylor we got one more for you (laughs) i already went that was my question no, oh, what? Oh, okay. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's my bad. Okay, okay. Aunt I'm, Jenny I'm, won, Taylor won. <laughs> We're tied up. So, Taylor, we are on our very last question. So, given everything that we've talked about this evening, if you had the chance to tell your teachers how to shift what they teach or the way they teach, and they had to do it, what would you tell them to do? I know this is a fun one, right? (laughs) Enjoy. Uh, First and foremost, this is it's normalized as like the big complaint of students. And I don't think that's okay. But I think that homework, the load of homework needs to drastically change, especially with how technology works now. It's possible to assign students hours and hours and hours of homework without even using a printer, like Mm -hmm. no waste. I mean, I have my friends in a business class right now and it's required and she's given a four page assignment on business with a a whole Oh God, what's it called? Sheet, like of numbers, like a spreadsheet. spreadsheet, Every day, these assignments are literally copy and pasted from like some kind of forum. Like you can search up every single question and they are literally just taken from some other teacher's curriculum and plopped into these classes and sent out every day as busy work. And that's not, once again, the expectation of students to finish that is ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Okay, we're not in first grade. We don't get like a free homework pass anymore. We don't get that. We get Fs. 
And I think on top of that, the busy work, yes, is a big deal. I also think that I feel like classrooms, like, so I'm in, in mostly honors classes. So the environment that I experience as a student would be different to other students. Obviously, that's going to be true for, you know, till as old as time kind of thing. That's That's going to exist forever. But I feel like some classes lack organization now because of technology. It's very new. Every class is set up different. Every class is managed different. And I see this the most, unfortunately, in my favorite, in my favorite class, in my favorite topic, English. Yay! Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but <laughs> I love English. I love writing. I love words. That's something that I'm passionate and I'm very good at. I started reading at three years old, like way young. But I noticed that the, the way that classes are put together aren't really accessible for students who aren't like neurotypical is the term. Um, mm -hmm. Students who struggle with executive skills, students who struggle mm -hmm. with social cues, all of those like big things. Yep. Um, you kind of have two options. You can go into the special education classes, which are usually so dumbed down. And I find that very rude because these are still students who are 16, 17, 18 years old. So they're not babies. Or you can go into these classes that are built for neurotypical students and you're put on, you know, like multiple units at a time. Like in English, you'll see your, you'll have your grammar, you'll have your vocab, you'll have your essay, you'll have your book, you'll have I had a, a project affair to do and like all of these things are being put on top of me and I, I'm, I have ADHD and that is really difficult. Like in math, mm -hmm. no big deal. Like you do one thing at a time, but I will see like students struggle to organize. And I think that it's important for teachers to A, like have an organized classroom on Canvas if they use that or, or Google Classroom or any of your things, but also, keeping in mind that like students have up to nine other classes that they're attending and making your work accessible, I think is kind of my point that I'm trying to make. I've, I've circled around it a few times, but yeah. having an accessible classroom to all students because that's what's expected now. Mm -hmm. Well, and what you're really talking about in edu speak is mm -hmm. universal design for learning, mm -hmm. right? So making sure that all resources, whether a student has a learning disability or has really high achieving, high success, right? they all can access the curriculum in a way that meets their right. personal need and their personal level of readiness. Another thing that I'm going to sneak in here, Taylor, okay. is... A lot of districts right now are experiencing a push to integrate more social emotional learning, right? Yes. Responsible decision making, social skills, self management, self awareness. We've talked about it on this podcast before quite a bit. A lot of districts have opted for mm -hmm. a standalone curriculum resource, right? To use right. to teach those skills. Given some of the things we've talked about, that Gen Z really is into activism, right? And mm -hmm. this generation is probably one of the most diverse generations and right. accepting of more diversity. What are your thoughts on that, of it being like a standalone curriculum? Is that what you feel or think the heart of our learning should be? I just want to hear your thoughts on that. So I definitely think that learning that like social emotional, that's important. But I also think that when I have gone through, through these curriculums, because I have, I have had classes um, even before like districts start or people started kind of like mandating that or pushing for that. I think that the classes are throwaways and I don't think mm -hmm. that they're very useful classes. I don't think that they're a good 
use of my time or my energy at all. I, I'm, I think it's, I'm in health right now. So there's a little bit of touch on like mental illnesses, mental health, mental imbalances, mm-hmm. mental disabilities, like all of that. And, you know, I sit through these lessons and they're nothing. They don't help me. Mm-hmm. They're teaching me, be respectful. I know I know that. They're, they're, don't tell me to be empathetic. I know to be empathetic. <laughs> I the the curriculum is what's lacking. the The idea and the concept is great, but I think that I don't know if it's something that we've really mastered yet. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I feel like every student who has had to go through these classes has taken nothing away. They use it as a time to be on their phone or to do homework or to just kind of blaze around because. I'm not learning anything that I don't already know. Taylor, this is spot on and so pertinent <laughs> to some some work that I've been doing within educators in our curriculum committees at my district. And we're also working on embedding, embedding SEL into right. our curriculum mm-hmm. versus being the standalone. Right. And there was an article yes. that we were having our educators read. And what I loved <laughs> yes. about it was, and you're verifying all of this, and, and I think on the surface level, many of us would agree, but really when it comes down to what do we do about LCL programs, especially with our adolescents, when we think of mm-hmm. secondary level, it has to be more implicit than explicit. We try, we make it, we check the box. Oh, we have an SEL program that the kids are doing. They're doing quote unquote. But what happens (laughs) is we're making it so explicit that like you said, you don't need to tell me about being empathetic. I already know that. It's really, what I found really interesting was this conversation about by the time we get to your age group, Taylor, it's about putting Mm -hmm. you in the opportunities to have leadership opportunities and responsibilities, not like saying, oh, let's strip you of responsibilities. You need to practice those muscles in order to be successful and thriving as you move into adulthood. And so, and that's a lot more implicit. I think my favorite line in that article was that it's kind of like sneaking in kale into a strawberry smoothie, right? So what we need to do, what we need to do is be less overt because social status is so important in high school students that if we're basically just going through the motions of this stuff, we're not actually talking about the right things or we're not having them flex those muscles of how do we practice our social and emotional practices for lack of a better term within, within the context of our environment versus let's just teach them about the buzzwords to say right yeah you got to use the skills not just read the books and learn about talk about the topic and i also think that it's a lot more helpful to apply it to real life situations that would happen Mm -hmm. now Mm -hmm. like i said and i've mentioned this a ton of times students don't stand for misogyny they won't stand for racism they won't stand for homophobia like these are all big topics that we can't really talk about in school for and for a good reason I understand why it can be hard to navigate these topics without you know trying to convince your students or you know including bias in your you know in your lessons but I also think it's important to help students apply what they learn and the things that they those social emotional skills to real life and I think that it would be a lot easier to apply that to your and put it into your curriculum, as you said, instead of just making a class where it's like, if a student came up to you and said that, I come up with something PG-13, and said that uh, their sister was getting bullied for this and this, what would you do? Mm-hmm. That's stupid. I'm not going to write a <laughs> paragraph about what I would do. I'd say, that's tough. Tell your teacher. Um, but mm-hmm. applying it to things that really happen in real life, like if this happened to you, like serious topics, what do you do? Like, I think it, that could be a class. That could be a class 
But I also mm-hmm. think that there's so much politics involved with that. And I think it makes it really hard for teachers to educate about those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Or if you have more performance-based assessments, like you described <laughs> earlier, right. where you're working right. on an authentic thing, where you have to have self-management in order to get all the things done that you're responsible for or that you're collaborating with other people in order to bring this show to fruition, that's where you build these skills authentically without having to open up the curriculum book and read lesson four. (laughs) I definitely learn more about like social emotional skills and learn more about how to be a person and be a good person from my clubs and my friends than I do from my classes. Right. Wonderful. Yeah. Perfect. Well, Taylor, it has been such a blast talking to you Thank about you. these things. Do you have time to hang out for game with I us? Because we are nerds and like to keep like the conversation going. <laughs> So we have enlisted the help of Taylor to be our game czar for a portion of this tonight. We're going to play one of our favorite games, Fact or Fiction, (laughs) Gen Z edition. And (laughs) Taylor has selected several items, entertainment, pop culture things. I've come up with two questions, and I expect a question from you guys, too. If you didn't plan that already. Oh, you got (laughs) it. Jump to it. Fair is fair. (laughs) The first one might be a little easy. I don't know. I think that music is a really big trend right now in Gen Z. Um, And I'm curious Mm -hmm. to see how much you guys know about your students' um, music tastes. So, fact or fiction, the most popular musician of today is Doja Cat. Doja Cat. Fact or fiction. Mm -hmm. Can we Google? No. <laughs> no. No cheating. No Google. Do you know who Doja Cat is? Uh, I do. I, I do. Okay. I, I would expect if you had seniors, you'd know. Yes. I do know who Doja Cat I, is. Do but you... to have them be the most influential, right? Yeah. Is yes. Factor yeah. fiction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Popular or influential? A little bit of both. Like someone that students who students will look up to someone that students really like um and like is universally like students can all agree like this is the person this is the musician okay Okay. so true or false fact or fiction i have my answer but i'm gonna wait don't don't i don't have (laughs) i have no idea I literally do you even know who Doja Cat is? I mean, I think I've heard it once in my life, and know. I thought it would have been like an anime character on some kind of Japanese my... like. <laughs> my dad cartoon. is in the background shaking his head. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uh, I'm gonna say fiction. Okay. I'm gonna say fiction because I barely heard of it, but that's probably a sign for why I should say fact. <laughs> I'm going to say fiction, and the reason I'm saying fiction is because we ask our seniors to request songs on a rolling basis, oh, and we play song of the day, okay. and so far, no Doja Cat songs, so. All right. It is, it is fiction. Ooh, if I were, right. Look at if us! If I were to say, <laughs> if I were to say any musician who I think is, like, really influential to all groups of students, I would say Tyler, the creator. Nice. Writing okay. that down. Yeah. I'm not I'm not getting out of piece. <laughs> All right, I'm feeling really good right now. Tyler awesome. the Creator has shown up on the on the yes. survey. So, yes. <laughs> All right. All right. Thank you. This one's really funny and um 
<laughs> I so don't think for I don't those know of us keeping it. score, for those of us keeping score, we all yes, got nice. Got, all right, we got some cool. Cred. Cool cred? Okay. Street cred? I just took oh. away all of your cool cred points for that. <laughs> we have none. Now we're all away. I understand. Except <laughs> my Okay, back to fiction. She's getting scolded by her dad in the background. <laughs> That's awesome. <Yeah. laughs> Fact or fiction? It is fashionable for men to wear patterned boxers. Men or Gen Z dudes? Gen Z dudes in general. Like, you see it more so in men, like I would say, for men. Is it fashionable for them to wear patterned boxers? I can't even believe this is a topic for discussion. (laughs) I'm so old. (laughs) But I love that it is. I'm, like, trying to hack this right now. Like, what kind of pattern? Are we talking? Like, are we talking like <laughs> you, can't, you can't ask? Why not? Are we talking like like flannel pattern? Are we talking like tacos that are patterned? Not tacos. <laughs> not childish. Okay. That's not bad. I I will tell you now. Childish patterns are. Bad. That's not okay. That's they're funny. So are we talking more like flannel and stripe and polka dot. If you think so. <laughs> I like her. <laughs> I'm going to say fact. Okay. I'm going to say fact just for the pure reason that this is even a point of conversation. I have no idea. There must be something that's going on right now. Yes. I feel like the less I know about Gen Z underwear, the better. <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and say fact too, so I'm not. Okay. So this is actually a bit of a controversial topic. If you were to ask boys, they would say fact, because it is right now considered cool among like specifically like kind of like skier guys and like dudes to sag their pants. And so you will see their boxers. And so often they will be wearing patterned boxers to match their outfit. (laughs) <laughs> to girls and to anybody else who has to experience this, they would say fiction <laughs> for the pure fact that I don't want to see your boxers. So I would say you guys all got a point. Woo-hoo! I think that it, it the fact that it's even considered fashionable is ridiculous. Yes. I just want to say that this was a thing for us <laughs> I, as well. 90s, oh, for I, sure. Oh, yes, yes. It's so awful. It's so awful. Oh, gosh. I can even picture the scene in Clueless where they show all the guys with the sag pants and she's making yeah. a face like, <laughs> yep. <laughs> all right, Taylor, are you ready? It's yeah. our turn. All right. Do you all have a question? No, okay. we're just going to stump you with one. No, okay, we're just okay. going to so ask our oldest member completely. and biggest nerd. Um, <laughs> <laughs> perhaps. Maybe tricky. Okay, so that would be, I actually have more than one I was considering asking. So oh, don't, ask don't, multiple. Don't. Good. Please. Okay. Please. Ask multiple. She's okay. ready. Yeah. Fact or fiction, Nintendo 64 was the most popular gaming console in the 90s. Nintendo 64. Mm, I want to say fiction because I think that, and this is for me personally, I'm basing this completely off of like myself. First of all, Nintendo as of right now kind of sucks. It's That's actually one of the questions I was literally going to ask is um, the most popular <laughs> console, the Nintendo Switch, which is uh-huh. the answer is fiction. But I also think, I think that, that could be wrong, Game Boys were popular in the 90s. 
They were. You're totally right that it's fiction. Yes. <laughs> and actually, Game Boys were the most popular handheld console. Okay. But the most popular gaming console all in all was the Sony PlayStation, the original. Oh, yeah. yeah. You're right. Yeah. Yes. But I mean, you are keeping your points as your 90s street cred for whatever that's the worth to you. The <laughs> answer for mine was also fiction because the most popular console right now is the PlayStation 5. So they're standing strong. Right. right. <laughs> and Taylor, you guys, Taylor can hang when it comes to video games. This girl is... And love she it. Likes it. <laughs> All right. All right. Okay. And then this one's maybe a little more trivia-based than like pop culture-based, but this That's is an interesting one because we've talked so much about technology recently. This is just fact or fiction. In 1999, Bill Gates was already worth $90 billion. Bill Gates. Which one's that one? Microsoft. <laughs> <laughs> Who's Bill Gates? Oh, that's awesome. I just know he's rich. Um, Microsoft? Mm-hmm. I'm going to say fact because I'm pretty sure Microsoft got popular before Apple got popular. And I know that Apple didn't start making money until like very recently, like the 2000s, I think. Yep. And you're right. You're oh, so good at go. this. I could not stump her, folks. Let the record state. Couldn't yeah. stump her. I'm too, I, all right. I just got all the logic. Yeah. And look at that. I think you all know. of us all around for once. I don't. This might be a GLG yeah. first where everybody, <laughs> nobody was stumped. And look at, mm-hmm. we've bridged the gap between millennials. We're geriatric millennials. And Gen Z. <laughs> I love it. Yay! <laughs> I also want to name and notice that if we ever do have a GLG trivia team, okay. Taylor, you will be more than welcome to awesome. help carry yeah. <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> uh, she can be my, she'll tap in, I'll tap out. I'm fine with that. <laughs> All right. Well, well, Taylor, thank you so much for dedicating your evening to us tonight and sharing your wisdom. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. We look forward to hopefully having you on again sometime. Oh, for sure. Around what we do and what it's like to be a student in today's educational system. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Taylor. Love you, girl. So I'm going to swipe the taste of what's to come. What we're really going to focus on in our part two is unpacking some of the information that Taylor shared with us and reinforcing, not that it needs it, but reinforcing it with some research and data to really help those of us who may think this is just one student's perspective and really see what we as teachers can do to breathe more life into our systems for students like Taylor. And that's a wrap. It's so good to be behind the mics talking to you all. Thanks for choosing to come around to engage with our guild's content as we passionately continue to advocate for adult learners with transparent conversations about the world of education, impactful leadership, and the power of high-functioning teams. If you'd like to connect, the power of the PLN continues as always, and you can find us on our website, thegroundedlearnersguild.com, and on Twitter at GroundedLGuild, at CVeacher, at Tech Coach M and at Jenny Labrie using the hashtag GLG Podchat. Do you even realize your feedback is everything? Feedback is a powerful tool that allows us to be responsive to the topics that matter to you most. If you haven't yet already or are finding us for the first time, how about leaving us a review as well as subscribing? You can find us wherever you stream. Thanks as always for tuning in to be a part of the Grounded Learners Guild. That's it for us, Casey, Emily, and me, Jenny, in today's episode. 
See you at the next guild meeting. And don't forget, in the meantime, do your best to stay grounded.